you're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. We are finally to the anticipated series of Dark Corners, right? So we're excited about this, excited about today and kicking this series off. Glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest here, it's exceptionally glad you're here. And um, we pray that God will move in each and every heart here today um, in, in a mighty way. And so I got a, a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about today. So I want to go ahead and jump in real quick. This series that we're looking at is, is called Dark Corners, and it's about how many times we let things kind of lurk in the corners of our heart. Many times we have things in our lives that we don't necessarily deal with and they're just, just um, sort of hidden away in our heart. And so we want to look at some of those things over the next six weeks. Uh, today is going to be an exciting topic because we are talking about sexual sin. Whee! All right, so uh, I'm a little nervous. Um, but, but seriously, it's going to be a little more PG-13 than what uh, maybe we, we would be talking about and uh, a different message. So if you have a child in here uh, who you don't want to hear the biblical view of sexuality, um, then I would suggest that um, they go to kids or um, that you step out with them or whatever. Um, but, but we want to um, be able to talk about real things in here today, real issues, because it's something that has affected all of us or um, is affecting us right now. And so I want to talk about this very as clearly as I can and as clearly as the Holy Spirit will speak through me. I want to yield to that today. And so let's look. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be, begin in verse 12. And in this text, Paul is specifically talking about these, uh, the Corinthians' uh, tendency, I guess you would say, and their desire to go and visit uh, temp, uh, the temple prostitutes, the pagan temple prostitutes. And so he's talking about um, this specifically, but in this text, there's a lot that we can learn about God's view of sexuality. As God wrote this through Paul, we can learn so much from it about sexuality and sex and what that is and what that looks like and the, the potential dangers of that, but also how God intended it. And so we're going to be looking at this today. Well, let's read uh, verse 12, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get going. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you are here with us today and that you're very present. God, I, I, I pray that you would calm our hearts right now. God, that we would sense you drawing us closer to you. That we would draw near to you, God, as we know that your word says that you'll draw near to us. And so, God, I pray right now that you would begin to speak to our hearts, that our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say. We love you and thank you for loving us and showing us that love through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share a couple of testimonies that we collected this week from people who've experienced the damage of sexual sin. The first one says, I'm someone who was raised to strongly believe that you should save yourself from marriage. In spite of my parents' teachings, I found myself a 15-year-old girl who had chosen to have sex for the first time. The guilt and condemnation led me to try and justify this sin by then marrying this person, as crazy as that sounds. 
If I did, did it this, if I did it this, good gracious, I'm not able to read this morning. If I did it this, I would technically still only have one sexual partner. I could say I've only had sex with my husband and no one would ever have to know. This sin ultimately changed the trajectory of my, the next 20 years of my life. I always felt condemned and never experienced sex the way it was truly meant to be. The next one, in college, there was a void inside me, and I tried to fill it with an emotional friendship with another girl. When the friendship still left me empty and emotional attachment proved not to be enough, I decided I needed more. I began to seek fulfillment in a physical relationship with her, forfeiting everything I believed about God's design for sexuality. This too left me empty, destroyed my friendship with this girl and my witness to her about Christ and wrecked my ability to be attracted to a man. This damage has affected me even six to seven years later in my marriage and in my walk with God. The next one, pornography was a consistent part of my teenage and adult life. I tricked myself into thinking that it was done in secret so it wasn't going to hurt anyone. Little did I know it was destroying me and everything around me. It completely distorted my view of sex and women, and it nearly cost me my marriage. I looked at women for what I could get from them, now not how I could serve them. It made my, my sex life all about me and created distance from my wife instead of intimacy. It wasn't until the Lord showed me that I was watching, that I was watching women God created in his own image destroy their bodies, and I was getting gratification from it, that I confessed my sin to the people close to me in my life and God began the process of healing me and showed me that I could live for him and fight sexual sin and with his help win. The last one, I was raised in a strong Southern Baptist home where I was saved at eight years old or at least walked the aisle. I knew all the right things to do and say yet still in, in eighth grade my best friend and I found a playboy in the locker room at school and I was hooked. My magazine turned into a computer screen and eventually that wasn't enough either. My desire and craving for this sin kept growing because I kept feeding it. Eventually I gave my virginity to my girlfriend and I so selfishly stole hers. I struggled with commitment and pornography for the next 19 years. I even found it almost impossible to be intimate and close with friends and family because I had trained my mind to be extremely selfish and to take what I wanted. I unconsciously lived two lives for a very long time, mentally and spiritually. I was brain dead and spiritually dead. I even married an incredible woman and despite her being the greatest blessing of my life, the effects of pornography and sex outside of God's boundaries carried over into my marriage and I found myself in an emotional affair with another woman. God's sense set me free from the lust and self-serving heart that plagued me and has completely restored my marriage to a place far better than it ever was, but I still struggle with shame, condemnation, and worth. I fight the lies from Satan that I can't come back from all of this and be used by God, but I know a different story, a story of redemption and reconciliation. For the first time in my life, I truly understand and experience what real and true grace was. I'm so glad I finally listened to Jesus as he kept saying, come out of the shadows and come out of hiding. It was hard for me to understand that he wasn't mad at me and he wasn't disappointed in me, but loved me and wanted the best for me. I wanted to read those to you because I want you to see, and many of us have experienced firsthand, the danger and the brokenness that can come from sexual sin, that can come from us engaging in sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. The reality is for us that 
God intended sex to be a very good thing, and sex is a good thing, but it's good inside the context that God intended it to be. And today, my heart is for you, is that wherever we're at in this issue, wherever we're, we're at with it, that Jesus would set you free from it. See, a while back, this has been a few years ago, I was hunting, and um, I was out in, in my hunting truck, and I was driving down this, this old road in the swamp, and all of a sudden, I literally, all four tires I just went into the mud and I was sitting on the ground, the, the truck was. All four tires were literally off the ground, just spinning, throwing mud. They wouldn't go anywhere. And here's the thing that at that moment, I, I didn't need somebody to walk up and go, looks like you're stuck. What I needed was somebody to help me get unstuck. I needed somebody to help me get out of the mess that I was in. And I want you to know that's my heart today is I want to preach to the other side of this issue. So many times all we hear is if you've done it or doing it or are thinking about it, then you're going to hell and that's all there is to it. I want to preach to the other side of this because there is healing and there is restoration. And there is reconciliation and there is the power of Jesus to set us free from the things that have held us back and from the things that are holding us back and to even lead us around the dangers that are in our future. And so I want you to be able to hear that today. If we're going to do that, though, I believe we've got to have an accurate biblical overview of sexuality and, and understand it. And we're going to get that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. We'll read that verse again. It says, I have the right to do anything, but you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I would not be mastered by anything. The very first thing I want you to see that Paul is saying here is not to abuse your freedom in Christ. He's saying don't abuse the freedom you have in Christ. If you think about all the things that Jesus has set us free from as far as um, living according to the law, the ceremonial law, having to wash our hands certain ways as the Jews did, um, having to live a certain way um, according to all of these rules and regulations that Jesus set us free from. He's saying, yeah, you are free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to sin. Don't use your freedom, the, the freedom that God gave you to set you free to end up putting you in bondage again. And he's telling us that not everything is beneficial. Not everything is helpful. Not everything is constructive. And before he jumps into this um, biblical sexuality section, he's saying you've got to look at this and ask some questions about things before you do them. One, it, does it honor God? Is it something that's God honoring? Two, does it help my relationship with Jesus grow? Three, does it advance the church or does it advance God's kingdom? So that we see the, the kingdom flourish and people beginning and continuing to be reached for Jesus. And the last one is, do, does it help my witness? Does it help me to, to reflect Jesus to the world? Do people see Christ in me through this action? And so we need to ask that, those questions. We need to challenge our assumptions in that. Verse 13 says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. That seems like a strange sentence, doesn't it? It's like a strange verse. But Paul's actually quoting a saying that they would have had in that day. And what he's saying is this, that you can't separate the physical from the spiritual. That's what they were trying to do is separate the physical from the spiritual. And it's just 
Not possible. See, Jesus didn't come just to save your soul. He came to redeem you, body, soul, and spirit, everything about you to be made new. That's what God wants to do in your life and in your heart is he wants to take every aspect of you and make you new. You can't separate spiritual from physical, but many times we, like the Corinthians, try to do this, that I'm saved by Jesus, but I live how I want to, and that's not Christianity. Christianity is surrendering to Christ to follow him to follow after him. And so it's called something that we're called to do is to be all um, surrendered as we just sang and to serve him with everything that we have. Verse 13, the end of that verse in 14 says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he raised us also. And so when we look at this one, I want you to see that our bodies are meant for God's glory and for right now and in the future. Our bodies are meant for God's glory right now and in the future. So that when we look at this, we see again, you can't separate spiritual from physical. It's all one thing. And it's all the offering that we give to God when we come to Jesus is all of us. It's every bit of us is saying, God, take all of me, take all of who I am, take all of my life spiritually, physically, let my body bring glory to you. Let my body be something that people look at and they see in my actions the glory of God. They see in my physical way of living the glory of God. The next one, verses 17 or 15 through 17 say this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it says that two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I want you to see in this one that sex, the sexual um, aspect, the sexual oneness that happens when we engage in sex with another person, that oneness is to reflect our covenant with God, is to reflect the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus. And so just as we become one with Christ, when we have sex with another person, the Bible says you become one with each other. This is how God designed it. This is what he wanted was for us to come together in marriage, to have sex with one another and for us to be joined together forever. Here's the reality of that though guys listen many times um, we come together before and what happens is even in our brains the scientists have figured this out that even in our brains what begins to happen when we engage in, engage in sexual behavior are stimulated sexually is that there's what they call a love potion that is released in your brain they say that it is as addictive as heroin it is something that your body begins to crave and so there is this chemical in our brain that is released during sex and during sexual um, encounters and, and during um, engaging in anything that stimulates us sexually. And it, it begins to want to bind us with that other thing. And so we see it even scientifically, it backs up the word of God. It backs up what God's telling us that we become one with that person. We become one with that man, with that woman when we engage in sex with them. Verse 18 it says, flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I believe what Paul is telling us in this is that 
sexual sin destroys you and it destroys others. See, it's not just taking something from you. It's also taking something from other people. And we can say, well, pornography is just between me and a computer screen or me and a magazine. The reality of that, guys, is this. That it's affecting the person that you're watching. You're being gratified through somebody else's destruction. And we need to realize that. That there's collateral damage to all sexual sin. And the reality of it is it affects everyone. As we saw in these testimonies, there were many people who were affected. And so we've got to see that and understand that. One of the things that happens, as I said, is as we engage in sexual behavior, it it begins to bind us with whatever it is that we have looked at, that we have um, participated in, that we have have, uh, engaged in sexual activity with. And I want you to see, I brought with me a couple of friends today, um, Donald and Mickey. Uh, How many Donald and Mickey fans we got? Yeah. Everybody loves them, some Mickey Mouse and some Donald Duck. All right, and so I brought this puzzle. I wanted you to see something with this because when we begin to give ourselves to someone sexually outside of the context of marriage, when we begin to look at pornography and we begin to bind ourselves, our minds to that pornography, what begins to happen is every time we do that, it's as though we take away a piece of ourselves so that I've engaged in some activity that a piece of me is given away. And then I do it again or I do something else and all of a sudden I've taken another piece away. And then I do something else again and it just becomes part of my behavior and, and so I just take another piece away. And all of these pieces begin to be taken away from me. Another way I've demonstrated this before and, and I'll show you one more time about this or show you again, I may do it again another day because it's such a great illustration but it's the illustration of a Band-Aid. And it's like when we start out in life, we have our, our, our body, our soul, and our spirit. But when we join ourselves to someone sexually, it's like we adhere ourselves to them. And in that, it becomes painful when we begin to rip it off. And the reality is that the more we put it on and the more we tear it off, the more we put it on and the more we tear it off, the less sticky it becomes. So this even affects our future relationships with people. It affects how we relate with others. I have a friend who he's, 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 he, he was struggling. I don't know why I can't read or can't talk this morning, but y'all bear with me. He struggled with drugs and alcohol. I mean, he did some hard drugs. I'm talking about meth, um, crack, things like that. And he said that his sexual addiction was the hardest addiction he ever had to break. And when we give ourselves, it, it, it binds us to that. It sticks us to that. It takes away part of us when it's not in the context of a man and woman in marriage. And I want you to see this, though, because it sounds like that's it. Oh, well, too bad, right? That many of us are just in a place where there's no recovery. But what I want to encourage you with is that there is redemption. There is reconciliation. There is healing. And I want to preach to that side. I want you to see that there is a way through this. There is another side to this. There is the hope of Christ in this. Because when you put a puzzle together, what do you always have to have? If you put together a big puzzle, maybe not this one. 
But like you put together a 500,000 piece puzzle, what do you need? You need what? The box top. Why? Because it shows you what it looks like. Here's the good news for you guys. Many times the pieces of our lives have been taken away through sexual sin, engaging in sexual behavior, looking at pornography, whatever that might be. The good news is even when we forget what we're supposed to look like and we've been drug away from who we're supposed to be, Jesus knows. He's like he has the box top. He knows what we're supposed to look like. He knows who we are and he knows how to put the pieces back together again. He knows how they're supposed to go together to make the the image look like what it's supposed to look like. He knows how to come back in and restore and reconcile. And he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he can take your life, even a life that's been damaged through sexual sin, and he can begin to put it back together so that it begins to bring God glory so that you can be transformed forever. And the good news is, listen, I'm not going to sit here today and just condemn you because the reality of it is none of us can throw stones because Jesus said, if you look love at a woman, then you've sinned. You've committed adultery. So we're all in this together, people. But the great news is if we're in Christ, Jesus can put us back together. Jesus can fix what is broken. And I want to speak to you right now because some of you are engaging in things that's going to destroy you or have destroyed part of your life. But the reality of it is that if you give it to Jesus, if you'll trust him with it, then he can do what you can't do. He can put your life back together again. But it's only going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus. You're not going to break that addiction by yourself. You're not going to put your marriage back together by yourself. But through the power of God, he can do this. He wants to do this. Listen, here's the thing that we often think is that God doesn't want the pieces. He doesn't want that brokenness. But God wants the brokenness. He wants to take it from you. He wants to have it so that he can put it back together, so that he can take what's broken in you and fix it and repair it and and reconcile it to himself so that in your life you begin to look the way that God designs you to look. You begin to reflect the glory of God in the way that God designed you to reflect it. That's the good news of the gospel. And we can get unstuck. We can get to a place where we're no longer stuck in this. But if we're going to do that, We've got to change our mindset. We've got to get to a place where we're seeing things differently. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to read it because it's going to, it would take too long. But if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 31, and you go through those verses, there's something that you're going to see in there. And I believe this is the first thing we have to do if we're going to get unstuck. If we're going to get unstuck in this and we're going to live the life that God's called us to live and we're going to be set free from this, cleansed from this, redeemed from this, then the first thing we've got to do is we've got to come to a belief that God's ways are good. That the things that God instructs us with, that they're good. That God is good. And if you read in Genesis chapter 1 verses 9 through 31, what it says after everything that God created, it says that it was good. It was good. He gets to the creation of the man and the woman. And it says in verse 31 that God saw all that he made and it was very good. We see that God's creation was good. He wants the best for us. God is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to give something to you. He's trying to give you life. He wants that for you. He's trying to take something from you. 
And so we've got to come to a place where we begin to trust that God's way is the best way. The second thing we have to do is we have to have a change of mind. We've got to have a change of mind. We realize that God's way is the best way. And then I began to realize and say to myself, I'm going to live according to God's ways. Even sometimes when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to live according to God's ways. I'm going to have a change of mind. That change of mind is a church word called repentance. And we've always heard people say, repent, turn or burn, you're going to hell. That's true for some people, but the reality of it is that what it means is a change of mind, a change of direction. It means that I'm turning from this and I'm turning to God. And so we have a change of mind, a change of direction. The third thing we've got to do is we've got to accept our acceptance in Christ. We've got to accept our acceptance in Christ. Some of you feel dirty. Some of you feel like damaged goods. Some of you feel like you can't overcome this. And the reality of it is that God is wanting to make you new. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. It tells us that he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It tells us that, that we become a new creation in Jesus. But we've got to accept our acceptance in Christ. That God accepts the brokenness. That God accepts the, 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 the messed up part of our lives. That no perfect people come to Jesus if we had to wait until we were perfect to come to Jesus we never come to Jesus but we bring our brokenness to him we bring it all to him laying it at his feet and saying God take this thank you for taking it thank you for accepting me in my brokenness in my need for healing thank you God that you've accepted me as your own Genesis 1:1 again in this creation story it says in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you look at this, it's, it tells us that in this situation, in this stage of creation, everything was dark. Everything was void. Everything was empty. It was pretty much chaotic. There was no order. There was nothing to it. But the spirit of God hovered over it. And here's the thing I want you to see in this and what God wants to do in your life. In those dark corners of your heart where it's void and it's empty and it, it, it's, it's in need of repair and it's in need of cleaning and it's in need of washing and it's in need of, of, of being brought to Jesus, God wants to take and do exactly what he did in this situation in your life. He wants to take your void, dark, empty life and he wants to put his spirit in there and he wants to put his spirit in your, in your heart and in your life and he wants to begin to transform you and bring you alive just like he did the creation he wants to work that way giving you life giving you peace he makes it alive he can do that in your heart he can do that in your life the next one is that we've got to make God's word the authority of our life God's word has to become the authority of our life so that our feelings and emotions don't drive our decisions and our actions. God's word does. So that our feelings and actions don't drive our decisions and our actions. God's word does. He tells us how to live our life for our good and for his glory. I want you to see that. 
want you to submit to his word and live according to his word because I want the best for you. I want you to see that you don't have to look at God's word as his word, as the ultimate authority in your life. You just can't follow Jesus and not look at God's word as the ultimate authority in your life. You don't have to live according to or agree with the things I'm telling you today. But the reality of it is, you just can't live and follow Jesus until we begin to put into practice the things that God's word teaches. It doesn't mean that we become perfect like this, but it does mean that we submit our lives wholly to Jesus, wholly to who he is and what he is about and what he wants for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, Verse 16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to see that in this scripture, it's talking about the authority of God's word, that it's breathed from God. It comes from God. It's, it's from him. It's his word. It's what he, this, Paul is talking about as he writes this letter to his disciple, Timothy. And I want you to see that there's four things that begin to happen when you look at this. The first one is it says that it's useful for teaching. In other words, it shows us God's will. It shows us God's heart. The second one is it's use, useful for rebuking. It shows us where we're out of God's will, where we're not following God's heart. The third one is it says it's for correcting. It, it, what it does is it begins to bring us back into God's will so that we walk in his will and in his heart for our lives. And the last one is that he trains us and he trains us to walk in God's will, to get, not get back out of God's will. And so he shows us his will, he shows us where we're out of his will, he brings us back into his will and then he trains us so that we can walk in his will for our lives, to live for him. We're getting close to the end, I wanna Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and read verse 18 again. Because it says, flee from sexual immorality. The next thing that we've got to do after we make God's word our authority is we've got to run from temptation and run to God. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who, are call, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When we look at this, I want you to see that he's not just telling us what to run from, he's telling us who to run to. He's telling us to flee youthful lusts, flee these youthful desires, flee these things, run from them, get out of there, but then also run to God. I wanna tell you that who we turn to is just as important is what we turn from because if there's nothing to fill the void that we're, we're, we're leaving that we're going to leave behind and the reality of it is it's not going to be long before we find something else that's unhealthy to fill that void but when we turn and we run to Christ we find that he is our satisfaction that he can begin the repair work in our heart that he can bring the healing that we so desperately want and so desperately need verse 19 he says do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You've got to realize that Jesus has set you free from the power of sin. Paul's telling us in this verse that we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. We have become his possession. 
It means that we no longer have to live according to the ways of this world. But that Jesus broke that off of our life. He set us free from that. So that when we come to Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. He gives us a new heart, and we're able to then live a different life. Listen to verse 11. If you jump up there, after Paul talks about people who want to inherit the kingdom of God, he says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is he saying? He's saying if you're in Christ, that's what you were, but that's not what you are. According to Scripture, when you give your life to Jesus, you go from being sinner to being saint. Now God just wants us to grow up in that identity. He just wants us to begin to take on that identity and live that life that he's already given us. You see, if, if he just gave us forgiveness, if he just said your sins are forgiven, I, I forgive you that would be enough to make us worship him and give him our lives give him our bodies give him our souls for eternity but it goes beyond that it goes from just forgiveness to him actually giving us righteousness so we give him all of our junk he gives us his righteousness and he puts that on us the righteousness of Christ who was without sin so when God looks at us that's what he sees and then not only does he do that but he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can then begin to live out that righteousness we can begin to live the life that he's given us that that we we will begin to desire to live it's doable but it's not doable apart from the holy spirit it's not doable apart from the holy spirit and that's the last thing i want to tell you is that you can win this battle you can win this battle you can win it in fact jesus has already won the war you're not fighting for a victory. You're fighting from a victory. God wants to do a great work in you and through you. God's not cast you to the side. God's not giving up on you. He hasn't quit. He's not a quitting God. Don't you quit either. But if you're going to do this, you've got to have people in your life. Paul says this at the end of 2 Timothy 2. 22, he says, along, he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, find people who are running the same direction as you and run with them. Find people who hold you accountable to living the life that God's called you to live and run with them. I tell people all the time, look, if you were wanting to get to Macon, you wouldn't go to Savannah, would you? Would you get in the car with somebody going to Savannah? No. You want to link up with people who are going the same direction that you are and that you desire to go. This is what our heart for you is, that you would find community in this church that you would begin to walk with people who are going the same direction that you are. And listen, if this is something that you've struggled with, that you are struggling with, something that you're pondering, something that you're thinking about, then this is the good news. There are people here who want to walk alongside you to help you overcome these things. And you can do it. Not by yourself, not apart from the Holy Spirit, not apart from community but it can be done through those things. Have you resolved in your heart to do it? 
Have you resolved in your heart to accept the acceptance that Jesus is offering you today? Listen, to be, this, and this is painful for some of us. But to let God dig down deep in the dark corners of our heart that we, where we've never let anyone in and begin to bring that out and give it to the Lord. What's God convicting you of this morning? Listen, God's conviction is not to bring condemnation on you. It's to begin a healing process as we bring those things to him. I really want you to hear this today. I really want you to see the other side of this issue. I really want you to see the, the healing, the restoration, the reconciliation. I don't want you to turn your back to it. I don't want you to walk out of here and just be pissed off at me. Excuse my language. But I want you to be able to walk out of here knowing that you laid it all before Jesus. And that he took this from you. And that you are being made whole. You're being made right. You're being put together as one with Jesus. Living that out. I don't know what God's putting his finger on in your life. I don't know what it is. Some of you, you just need to receive forgiveness. And you might can say, God's forgiven me. But for some of you, you need to forgive yourself. You've got to come to a place where you accept his acceptance. I'm telling you, that's the beginning of healing. What's God putting his finger on in your life today? Maybe it's got to do with this message. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's got to do with sexual sin, but maybe it's something else. But what is God putting his finger on, stirring up in you today? Maybe it's the fact that you need to give your life to Christ and surrender that to him. Maybe you realize I've never done that. Maybe you're like that testimony I read where he said I, I was saved at eight or actually walked down the aisle and you had to say the right things and do the right things. Maybe that's all it's been for you. But you know you need salvation. You know I can't live this life without the Holy Spirit in me and he currently does not dwell there because you haven't given your life to Christ but if that's where you're at and God's knocking on the door of your heart I want to give you that opportunity if today God is speaking to you about this about salvation then I want you to just raise your hand and say I want to receive Christ today I want to know him I want a relationship with him I need the forgiveness that Jesus can offer. I just need to know him. I need God. You never had that. And I want to give the rest of you an opportunity. An opportunity to surrender it all to God. We've sang this. We professed it. 
Now I pray that it's true in our lives. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, if you need to come and surrender something today, then you come down here to the altar. I don't know if it's sexual sin. I don't know if it's greed. I don't know if it's pride. I don't, I don't know if it's prejudice. I don't know what it is you need to surrender. But I'm telling you, if God's put his finger on it today, I'm asking you that you would come and surrender that to him today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to move and come to the altar. When I say amen, if, if you're, you don't need to come up here, I pray that you will because I think we all do. We all need to do business with God today. But if not, when I say amen, you're dismissed. The rest of us are going to spend some time praying. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to move and move the way that God prompts you to move. Jesus, thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you move in our hearts. God, would you come and move in a great and mighty way in this place today? Uh, even now, God, the one that maybe is hard-hearted and stone-hearted and doesn't want to move, God, I pray that you would break their hearts, break their hearts. I pray for the one who their heart is beating and they know they need to move right now, but they can't move. I pray, God, that you would just almost eject them out of their seat by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring them to surrender in you. God, I, I pray that you would just move in that way. God, we love you and thank you for loving us. As we go through this week, God, let's hide ourselves in you and your word. Let's surrender daily, moment by moment to you so that our lives, our body, our soul, our spirit bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.